You're clean, aren't you? Except for your tower. You're a tower junkie, Roland. Hello and welcome to Tower Junkies, presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. If this is your first time listening, Tower Junkies is a podcast celebrating the work of Stephen King with a special focus on his magnum opus, The Dark Tower series. We discuss the themes, characters, and mythology of the series in Palaver episodes, and review the books and comic series in Kef episodes. We also discuss non-Tower King novels, TV and film adaptations of King's work, and the latest news about all things that serve the King. You can find more of our work at TowerJunkiesPod.com and follow us on every level of social media at TowerJunkiesPod. I'm one of your hosts, Matt Hurt, and with me today, as always, is my comate, Tiny. Hey, guys. Hi, Tiny. How's it going? It's pretty good, man. Good, good. Um, Let's see. So today on the podcast, we're going to be talking about both the novel, uh, Stephen King's 1987 novel, The Tommyknockers, and the 1993 uh, TV miniseries adaptation. Um, usually we split those up into two episodes, but as we'll get into the review, I think there's, I don't think there's enough to really necessitate a full episode on the miniseries. Yep. Um, so yeah, so we'll, we'll get to that in a bit, but we do have news and check-ins and stuff. But before we get to that, Tiny, how's it going? Did I already ask that? Yeah, you did. Okay, cool. Um, so Tiny, how's it going? It's still going good. <laughs> good, good. <laughs> um, anything new that lo- like we haven't been talking for the last hour? Uh, no, no, good. I don't think so. We're good. Good, yeah. good. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, so should we go into, uh, do we usually do news first or check-ins first? You know, I don't. I don't remember. I don't remember either. Which do you prefer to do first? Uh, let's do check-ins first. Okay, cool. Because I've got a ton of check-ins. Oh, okay. Um, so let's see. So how should we divvy this up? Like, you have one check-in, perhaps. Yeah. yeah. That I kind of forced on you. <laughs> uh, go ahead and go ahead and tell us about your check-in, Tiny, and then I'll vomit out all of mine. <laughs> uh, so my check-in is uh, Matt just gifted me. Uh, an Audible book, and it was uh, Carrie. Yes. Because I've never read it, and I'd like to. Yes. And, yeah, I've never actually... I don't think I've even seen the Sissy Spacek movie. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I saw the the remake mm-hmm. with uh, Chloe Grace Moretz. Yeah. But, uh, which I liked. thought it was good. Yeah. Um, did we did we review that on Obsessive Viewer? I don't recall. I don't recall either, I and know. I feel like... Because I think that was right around when we started Obsessive Viewer. I don't think I, we did not review it, but I'm sure we probably commented on it. I'm sure we did at some point. Yeah. yeah. Um, did you happen to see who narrates the audiobook? No. Yeah. Do you want me to tell you? Yeah. Oh, uh, Sissy Spacek. Oh, really? Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, it's one of those ones that I was uh, I I listened to kind of. Uh, passively while i worked because i've i've read the book before um mm-hmm. it's a good audiobook it's 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 good she does a good job and it's such an interesting it, it's it's a good it's a good book nice um, i like it okay um kind of king in a sense kind of cutting his teeth a little bit mm-hmm. um as it's his first published one right um it's good it's very good nice i'm trying to find if we did carry but i don't think we did 
That's yeah. interesting. So anyway, um, yeah. So that's I'm looking forward to, to hearing your thoughts on Carrie when you you get to it. Nice. Um, I do think we're going to review it sometime. It'll be early next year. I'll put that out there. Cool. Um, so yeah, uh, should I go into my massive amount of check-ins and sure. stuff? Sure. Okay, mm. let me bring all of the shit onto the couch here. What I've affectionately referred to as the casting couch, because we're podcasting from it. <laughs> um, okay. So I made a couple of purchases. Oh, my God. I know. <laughs> okay. God. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to be digging me like, don't worry, I got it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I made some purchases. And, okay, first of all, this is an old purchase, but this is I'll, uh, adjacent check-in. Okay. Um, so, uh, a few episodes ago, I mentioned how we uh, hadn't learned about a movie tie-in edition for It Chapter 2. Uh, we do have one, and this is the cover of it. It shows Pennywise against a white background uh, with It on it and That's everything. Cool. Very cool. Very, uh, I'm excited to have it on my shelf um, yeah right uh man oh no uh, that wouldn't have been a fun patreon thing anyway um so yeah it's it's good i'm i'm excited about that um so i now have two paperback editions of it and uh one on audible i have it on kindle also i'm sure jesus um i would have had three paperback editions but the one paperback edition i had before i got the it chapter one um, tie-in edition, uh, I gave it to my sister to give to her now ex, um, mm. <laughs> uh, his son for Christmas because he had like, he, well, he was in town from like Ohio or something and he had borrowed it from the library and he was like reading it. Um, and it was like, it was for Christmas and everything. And, uh, my sister was like, Hey, do you, do you have, do you have it? I was thinking maybe I, if, I could just give it to him for Christmas and I'll pay you back. I'll <laughs> buy it for you again. She never did. But yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I'm glad that I could, um, influence a young mind. I could, yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm really glad that I could give a like 12 year old, <laughs> a copy of it. <laughs> no kidding. Um, yeah, but it's, I think it's, I mean, if, if you're mature enough, I think it's a good book for like a tween. Successful enough. Yeah. And it's good. It's good because of the kind of coming of age nature of it. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So that's the, was when I had pre-ordered it a while ago and it just kind of came this week. Um, nice. Yes. And then I also got, these are new paperback editions of uh, uh, The Talisman and Black House. Hmm. You said, I don't remember if this was on mic. Um, by the way, check out patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. We record uh, bonus like features for every episode that we put out. So for a minimum dollar per month, uh, you get access to a special RSS feed where we talked about, we basically talked about uh, how we showered before recording and how um how uh what what we would say if we ran into Stephen King in person mm-hmm. um so anyway uh talisman and black house when we recorded that tiny you mentioned that you have the talisman on audible but you don't know anything about it i know like nothing about it interesting so do you mind if i tell you something about these two books not at all i think do both of them tie into the dark tower uh yes that's I, I that's the interesting thing because I don't know exactly how they do right um but the interesting thing uh 
is that I, the reason that I was so keyed up to buy these two paperbacks, which is ridiculous because I also have them on Audible. I'm just a collector. I don't, I don't know. I get it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's a problem, but I do have this fantasy that like, okay, eventually, like in like 30 years when I retire, I'll have all of these Stephen King books, and I'll just like make it like like a personal mission. Like I'll just spend my time actually reading reading yeah. the physical books. Nice. Um, so yeah, anyway, um, The Talisman and Black House. So I wanted to buy these books and add them to my collection because we just recently read Dr. Sleep, which we'll have our review in the in like a month or so, or a couple about a month and a half, I think. Um, two months, let's say. So uh, the reason that I wanted these um, is because The Talisman tells the story. I don't know much about it, but it's about a young boy named Jack Sawyer. Um, who I believe was the inspiration for the names Jack and Sawyer on Lost. Okay. And Black House uh, picks up with Jack Sawyer 20 years later um, uh, as an adult. Okay. And that just reminded me, like, I was so I was so enthralled with Dr. Sleep that I was like, oh, I want, I want another, like, pair of books that, like, yeah. follow a kid into adulthood. Nice. So, yeah, so I was, I'm excited about these. And the cover art looks cool and everything. Totally. Also, it's interesting because they are co-written by Peter Straub, which I am not familiar with him because he's not Stephen King. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, yeah. So. Cool. Looking forward to those. And then my last purchase, I guess, technically, is I've been talking up over the last several episodes and bleeding over into Anthology and probably Obsessive Viewer as well and the Patreon feed and my meetings at work, um, <laughs> how much I desperately want a Stephen King uh, anthology show that each episode takes takes an adaptation of a short story of his. Um TNT did that in 2006, so I bought on DVD Nightmares and Dreamscapes from Sweet. the stories of Stephen King. And this ties in... I'm, <laughs> I bought this, and then um, on YouTube, the, these are eight episodes. It was only one season on TNT. Mm-hmm. Um, eight episodes. I'm pretty sure all of them are available for free on YouTube. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, in their entirety. Um, which is fine. Like there are some special features and stuff, so I'm I'm looking forward to digging into that eventually. Yeah. I actually watched a little bit of that when it Did came you? out. Yeah, nice. What are your memories of it? I only, I really only remember the one with. I've never read the stories, mm-hmm. so I wasn't familiar with them. But yeah. I I remember the one with William Hurt. Nice. Okay. This yeah. This ties in perfectly because most of the stories from Nightmares and Dreamscapes are adapted from the collection Nightmares and Dreamscapes, mm-hmm. but a couple of them are from different collections. One of them is the pilot episode, the first episode that has William Hurt. It is called Battleground. Mm -hmm. And that is one of the short stories in Night Shift, his first collected uh, short story collection from 1978. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'll get back to that in just a second. But first, I just want to say that I have been reading Night Shift just at my leisure. Um, Really liking it. Nice. (laughs) Like, it's so... Because this is the first time I've read, like, one of his short story collections. Mm -hmm. So, I'm just... I'm really digging it. Like, just I'll read, like, a story or two a night. And there's some really good ones. A couple that I wasn't too keen on. But, like, there's... uh, We'll talk more in depth when we eventually review the the book. But, man, there are some really good stories in this one. Um... Like, I'll just say, like, my two favorite are uh, I Know What You Need, which I think is really fascinating because it is a um, biting indictment of, like, 
toxic max- masculinity and like mm. nice guyism okay in 1978 and it's kind of sad that it resonates so well today because like i've seen like i've <laughs> i did what the kids are calling subtweeting because <laughs> i saw this dude that i'm acquaintances with i'm not even i don't even follow him on on twitter but like a friend of mine like showed me like a screenshot and it was just like this dude talking about like how uh how like women are evil because they flirt with guys and then when the, when the guys flirt back uh they uh they suddenly have a boyfriend and stuff and then <laughs> i'm just like dude you're in your 30s like okay <laughs> just yeah and uh oh god well, well he said something like um oh i don't know what he said but anyway and then also are you familiar with the bagel boss no oh god <sighs> really briefly uh this dude w- had an outburst like a like a freak out at a like uh, uh what looked like a coffee shop uh he was like screaming and ranting about how uh women only like women only want people that are a certain height want men that are a certain height and since he's short he doesn't have a chance with any any of them and, like he's like like this fucking bitch working here i don't know if he said that but he said like this woman working here probably wouldn't give me the time of day and she's laughing at me and stuff and it's just like or and he said something like, and she smiled at me, and it's just like she's doing her fucking job, like yeah. what, like, and he's just, and I'm just like, I don't think your height is the reason why you're single, buddy. <laughs> yeah. But what's infuriating about that, and to tie it back to this, is that he got like a TV show deal or something, um, out of it because he went viral, and I'm like, that's just fucking giving, you know, uh, credence to this to cre cretins <laughs> credence to cretins uh free band name but <laughs> but anyway uh anyway all that's to say that i know what you need is a story about a woman uh, a woman in college who uh meets this mysterious guy who kind of knows what she's thinking and everything and uh kind of gets her to fall in love with him and it's just such an interesting tale of like of like i said toxic toxic masculinity and entitlement of like quote unquote nice guys and what struck me about it was that it was originally public i don't know when it was originally published but it was this collection was published in 78 and i'm just like it's pathetic that this resonates so much today yeah okay um but anyway and then the other one that i really liked i really like quitter uh, quitters inc also and uh there was another one that really oh um Oh, sometimes they come back. Holy crap. That blew me away. Nice. Um, I'm excited to watch the movie also. So anyway, um, Battleground. Going back to Nightmares and Dreamscapes, and I swear I'm almost done. Uh, hopefully, hopefully this isn't too ranty. So Battleground, this this blew my mind a little bit. So um, Battleground is about a hitman who is uh, who receives a package at like his penthouse or something and he opens it he opens it up um it's a bunch of like toy soldiers and army men Mm -hmm. that come to life and try to kill him yeah um so what's fascinating about it and like i was just so blown away by it there's an episode of the original twilight zone called the invaders that has a woman in an isolated like house she's there alone she's just like cooking stew and stuff and she hears a sound. It's a spaceship that lands on the roof and these little miniature like aliens come down and start terrorizing her and trying to kill her. Wow. Um, what 
amazes me. I won't give away the ending for that because it's got a really cool twist ending, Twilight Zoney ending. Check out Anthology, by the way, um, my solo podcast. So uh, that's that's one of the like big episodes of of the original series, one of one of the classics. And I first of all, I I love that Stephen King. Like in reading Night Shift, I can I can read the inspiration from the twilight zone in, in the stories. Like there are a couple other stories that really feel like he was really influenced by the original twilight zone. And what I love about this is that battleground was adapted for, like I said, the nightmares and dreamscapes TV show. And so, okay, so here we go. The invaders 1960, 1961 was written by Richard Matheson. And Richard Matheson, of course, was one of Stephen King's biggest, like, influ- like influenced, like, Stephen King, one of Stephen King's favorite writers was Richard Matheson. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I love about this is that the episode of Nightmares and Dreamscapes that adapts Battleground, which is directly inspired by the invaders, was written, the adaptation was written by Richard Matheson's son. Oh, wow. And to add, like, an interesting, another interesting layer to that, that episode of the twilight zone is famous because there is very little dialogue. Like the, the main actress, I can't remember. Uh, Oh, Agnes Moorhead. Um, she like, she gives an incredible performance because it is like, there's no dialogue. Hmm. It's all through facial expressions and kind of grunts and like just reacting to things. It's, it's, it's an amazing piece of television. Mm -hmm. Um, battleground in the tv show pays homage to that by having no dialogue right it's just it's so cool Mm -hmm. um so anyway i just i really i really enjoyed that um i just i thought that was really cool um yeah and so yeah that i guess those are my check-ins also i'm excited because um today i got (laughs) um i bought on ebay a copy of the bachman books which includes rage which um is of course Stephen King's uh, novel or novella, I think, from like seven seventy eight, I think. Also, mm-hmm. um, that famously was taken out of print after the Columbine massacre. Right. Um, so I'm excited for that. Cool. Oh, <sighs> so those are my check ins. Jesus, um, yeah. I know. I've been I've been busy, and I lost my phone. I've been slacking. Apparently. Uh, well, you know, it's it's fine. You've got stuff going on, and. <laughs> Everything. Yeah, you're doing, you're doing, you're, you're doing good. You're doing good. <laughs> what happened? My, oh, here it is. There you go. So, okay. Um, so those are the check-ins and everything. Um, oh God, uh, never mind. I have a couple oh more. Oh God, Maddie. Um, I read Finders Keepers or I listened to it on Audible. Right. Um, enjoyed it. Not as good as Mr. Mercedes. We'll eventually get to review it. Um, and then I have been diving back into the Dark Tower. I've been li- listening to Wizard and Glass again because I previously, like a few months ago, finished The Wastelands just kind of passively listening to it at work. And just, I swear, within 15 minutes of starting that um, audiobook, I'm like, I'm right back into like nothing else in the world matters except for the Dark Tower series. <laughs> Um, I'm right back in that mode. So, yeah. yeah. So like, it's been like two days. I'm already like halfway through the book. It's, it's God, it's so good. Wow. Um, so yeah. Um, okay. So those are the chickens. Uh, we do have some news to go through also. Um, yeah. So let's dive into some news. So this one is from 
like March or May, I think it's from May, but I kind of want to touch on it real quick um, as a preamble to another piece of news that broke today. Um, Stephen King was on Mick Garris's podcast called, um, oh crap, I can't remember what it's called, uh, Postmortem with Mick Garris. There it is. Okay. Um, he was on it back in May. They were talking about the Stand miniseries' uh, 25th anniversary, and he had a quote about the new uh, limited series that's coming to CBS All Access next year. Um, so I'll just read the quote that King said. Uh, he said, I like Josh Boone's work, who's directing The Stand. Um, I actually worked with him on his first feature, um, and then he did The Fault in Our Star- Stars, which I thought showed his grasp of the medium, and I like him a lot. I like his reach, his ambition for The Stand. Really, the thing I'm most excited about is, first of all, we've got two more hours to tell the story, and second, we're free of all those things that held us back with the 1994 miniseries. Not only is the budget bigger, we're free in terms of language, in terms of violence, in a way that we weren't with the original. Um, yeah, so that kind of fractures into a couple of different offshoots of, of news. Um, that original... Did you ever watch... Okay, did you watch the Stan miniseries? I've seen it, yeah. Okay, did we watch it at work? I think we might have. I, I think so, I, too, but... Yeah, I can't remember. I honestly think I might have slept through it. Yeah. I, I don't remember. I remember the beginning. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking it was weird that Rob Lowe was not looking at people's faces when, when they were talking to Nick Andros. <laughs> like, it was, he was avoiding eye contact like crazy. Yeah. And that's about the extent of what I remember. Okay. Um, but that original miniseries is coming out on Blu-ray for the first time uh, on September 24th. Okay. Um, so I currently have it pre-ordered just because I'm a collector and I just want to have it and just for future purposes for when we review it. Yeah. But we'll see. Um, okay. Yep. And then also there was some news that broke about the new uh, limited series. Uh, do you want me to go into that? Sure. Okay. Uh, so I'll just read the headline to kind of grab your attention. Stephen King's writing a new ending for Josh Boone's The Stand. Oh. So he is uh, he is going to write the final chapter of it. Like He's going to write the last episode, I believe. Hmm. And it's going to differ from the book's ending, um, hmm. which is really interesting to me. Yeah. Um, because... The book's ending is, it's first of all, it's so divisive. Yeah. Um, and it's so um, big. Like, it's it's a big touch point of his uh, bibliography. So I'm very curious what, and it, I don't know, what do you make of this news? It's kind of surprising, really. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know. I feel like he's, um, Stephen King, when it comes to endings, he has such a, touch and go relationship with him mm-hmm. and i feel like he sometimes he tends to tack on endings to some of his stories mm. and maybe he feels that way with stand and he has a chance to retroact that i guess yeah um and so i can understand why he's he's making that decision but uh i'm i'm surprised i mean i'm, I'm really surprised that he's he's doing that is he is he getting like a screenwriting credit for the I show? I believe like, he's writing okay. the last episode. Interesting. Yeah. Um, huh. I don't know how he's. I don't know how it's going to work like with the writers' room that they have for it. Okay. But um, yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, 
It'll, it, yeah, I mean, I'm, it's, it has me more intrigued. Yeah, according to the press release, it's uh, Josh Boone's forthcoming adaptation of Stephen King's The Stand will feature an all-new final chapter written by King himself. Hmm. Um, yeah. Wild. Yep, and then they also confirmed some casting. Um, so James Marsden is going to be Stu Redman. Okay. And Amber Heard is going to be Nadine Cross. Um, okay. Odessa Young will play Franny Goldsmith. Um, I don't know her from much of anything. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, finally they confirmed that, um, Henry Zaga is going to be Nick Andros. Um, he was in like four episodes of 13 Reasons Why. Um, hmm. he was, he was fine in it. Um, I think he would, uh, we'll see. <laughs> um, yeah, so that that's exciting. Yeah. Um, and then also tickets for it. Chapter two went on sale today. <laughs> <laughs> um, did you hear that they're re-releasing it this weekend? The first one? No, I don't think I knew that. Yeah, they uh, basically it's they're re-releasing it. Chapter one in theaters for I think in at least in our market here in Indianapolis, it's going to be at like only a few locations, but it's only going to be Saturday night, huh. um, which I can't go because i'm i have plans but it's going to be uh it chapter one in the theater which i'm fine i ha- i own it it's like it's not a big deal right but it's going to be it's going to have a post credits like um sneak peek at it chapter two like i think it's going to be like a i don't know like 10 minutes of the movie or something huh. so yeah and i don't know if i'd want to do that because i want to yeah. go into chapter two as blind as possible right so I, uh, I think that's it for news and check-ins. Wow, uh, we burned up a lot of time. Yeah. Uh, so let's go into what we're talking about this this episode. And honestly, I'm. Let's talk about it. It's yeah, let's the, get it over with. The kinda. Tommy Knockers. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Published in 1987, November 10th, 1987. I'm going to read the plot summary, courtesy of the back of the paperback edition of the novel. As soon as I pick it up and put it in my hands. Um. Oh man, my back cover's torn up. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, on a beautiful June day, while walking deep in the woods on her property in Haven, Maine, Bobby Anderson quite literally stumbles over her own destiny and that of the entire town. For the dull gray metal protrusion she discovers on the in the ground is part of a mysterious and massive metal object, one that may have been buried there for millennia. Bobby can't help but become obsessed and try to dig it out, the consequences of which will affect and transmute every citizen of Haven, young and old. Um, so there's more to it, but I'm just going to leave it there. Um, so yeah, the Tommyknockers. Uh, Tiny, I think I may have said this on the podcast before, but I remember like when our friendship was just beginning. <laughs> um, we, uh, I think I was like staying the night over at your house, and we were in your basement and I remember I was perusing like a like your like the books that were on display, mm-hmm. um, and I vividly remember like like picking up and like thumbing through or looking at the Tommyknockers, and thinking like oh I'm, I'm, this looks cool or whatever. Yeah. Um, little did I know. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, I I don't want to shit on the whole book, the whole episode, but it's uh, it's it's a tough one. It is. Yeah. It's a it's a tough nut to crack. There we go. Yeah. Um. So let's start tiny with 
what's your history with it? Do you have a history with the Tommyknockers? Not much. I remember when the series came out, I think, mm-hmm. which is weird because I was like six years old or something. <laughs> um, but I remember seeing it on TV and like I knew who Stephen King was and... Mm-hmm. You know, I was like, ooh, there's aliens. The aliens scare the shit out of me. Right. So I, I was intrigued by it. Um, and just for whatever reason, just never read it. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's because in the pantheon of Stephen King, it doesn't get talked about a lot. I noticed that, yeah. So I, I think I, I think I just kicked the can down the road. That mm-hmm. I Tommy knocked the can down the road <laughs> um, and uh, and just never read it. I, no excuse really or, mm. or anything um but i think it is kind of a famous a famous uh title and people are aware mm. that like oh the timing knockers that's a stephen king book right what's it about and they don't even know yeah it's just it's just like it's famous because stephen king wrote it yeah it's interesting because there are a few novels in his oeuvre that are kind of like forgotten or not talked about like you said like yeah. i and it's more I'll amend that and say that it's it's more that I haven't heard it heard a lot of these books talked about in my own like sphere, right? Social sphere or whatever. But like like I don't know. I couldn't tell you a single thing about books like Rose Matter or some other ones that are bl- that I'm blanking on. <laughs> um, Bag of Bones. I think I have a tangential thing. I've actually heard good things about it. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Let me actually look at his bibliography. I don't really know anything about like Lysi's story or oh yeah, um, yeah. I the girl know. who loved Tom Gordon. Oh, you know, like, I don't really know much about those. But interesting. I've I've read the girl who loved Tom Gordon. Yeah. Um. It's it's interesting. It's interest. It's an interesting okay. kind of I guess departure for him. Mm-hmm. Um. But like I don't know I don't I couldn't tell you anything about like Roadwork or uh, Cycle of the Werewolf either. Mm, yeah. Um. Yeah. So and the Tommyknockers is one of those that I just uh, it's just not that much talked about. Right. Um, and now we know why. Yep. <laughs> so anyway, um, so. Uh yeah, my history with it is the same. I I I never really read. It. I wasn't aware of the miniseries or anything. Um, but I do have some interesting background and trivia for it before we get into our review. If you wouldn't mind indulging me for a moment, sure. So back in I believe it was 2014. I'll put links to all this in the show notes, of course. But uh, Stephen King uh, gave an interview in Rolling Stone. And kind of just an overview of his career and over the over the years and everything. And one of the questions was, did uh, uh, well the prompt is, did the quality of your writing start to go down? Just leapfrogging off of the discussion that I did not put in the notes. Um, but he he said he addresses the Tommyknockers in this interview. He says, "quote The Tommyknockers is an awful book." <laughs> That was the last one I wrote before I cleaned up my act, and I've thought about it a lot lately and said to myself, there's a really good book in here, underneath all the sort of spurious energy that cocaine provides, and I ought to go back. The book is about 700 pages long, and I'm thinking there's probably a good 350-page novel in there. I kind of feel the same way. (laughs) Yeah, oh, absolutely. And having that context of it being like when he was like, really heavily into his substance abuse problems um, <laughs> gives a lot of context to the book. Um, yeah. 
just in terms of structure, in terms of just writing, like, I don't know. Volume. <laughs> volume of it. Yeah. And just, like, the, I mean, I, like, I've never done cocaine, but, like, there, there's not that sense of urgency that I feel like is attributed to cocaine. Like, I, I don't know, but. He also said, uh, like, the, the follow-up question was, is the Tommyknockers the one book in your catalog you think you botched? And he said, well, he said, quote, well, I don't like Dreamcatcher very much. Dreamcatcher was written after the accident in 1999. King was hit by a van. Um, I was using a lot of OxyContin for pain, and I couldn't work on a computer back then because it hurt too much to sit in that position. So I wrote the whole thing longhand, and I was pretty stoned when I wrote it because of the Oxy. And that's another book that shows the drugs at work. Wow. Um, and I was, I find that really interesting Mm -hmm. because you haven't read the, you haven't read Dreamcatcher, have you? No, I never read it. Do you remember seeing the movie? We've talked about it before. Yeah, I remember it. Yeah. Okay. Well, anyway, both, both the Tommyknockers and Dreamcatcher, um, again, they're like a decade apart in terms of writing. They both deal with like an alien invasion of sorts and and impacting like a town or a group of people mm-hmm. um just really interesting that he wrote both of those when he was stoned out of his gourd right um so uh yeah so that context I've, i found was interesting so oh boy let's talk non-spoilers about the tommy knockers uh tiny it's been a while since you've read it i I bit the bullet for us and I listened to the audiobook twice. <laughs> yeah. Um and I don't mean to shit on it cuz I do think there's one or two book there are one or two books that I like less than this. Okay. Uh which we'll talk about later. But what did you in overall thoughts and non-spoilers, what did you think of the Time Knockers? Um I thought it was uh really long and drawn out. Mm-hmm. Um and uh like a lot a lot of detail in the wrong places. Mm-hmm. Um but I don't think it's an awful book mm-hmm. to, to to follow his quote. Um, I think there's a to also follow his quote. I think there's a good story there, mm-hmm. um, and the premise is really good. Yeah. Um, but it's just I I think I think the devil's in the details, and there's a lot of details in this book, mm-hmm. and 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 I think it just I think he just delved into too much and 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 focused on like hyper focused on too many things. Yeah. And um spent time in weird places and weird situations that didn't need that much delving into Mm. and kind of bogged down the story a lot and bogged down the characters. Um, but despite all that, I think the characters were actually pretty well-rounded, you know, as, as he is wants to do, um, create such good characters. Um, so I I feel like that, I mean, I, I would be curious to see other stories about, Bobby and Guard. Mm-hmm. I think they were they were good characters. Um, or another story in the setting of Haven mm-hmm. Haven, Maine. Um, and do you know about Haven the show? No. Okay, it's not really connected to the Time Knockers. I, I don't think, but basically, um, there was a show on like Sci Fi Network um, called Haven that ran for like five seasons. Takes place in Haven. It's based or inspired by. Uh, the book The Colorado Kid by Stephen King. Okay. Um, so yeah, it's it's the same town, but I don't think it's I don't think it's it's really the same version of the town from the Tommy Knockers. Okay. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, I agree. There is a lot. He gets bogged down a lot. My biggest complaint with the Tommy Knockers is the structure of it because okay. we start 
for several, several pages, several hundred pages, I think. Um, well, I'll go audiobook time-wise. So it is a 27-hour audiobook. It's, it's a hefty one. Mm-hmm. The paperback is like a lot of pages. It's like almost a thousand pages long wow. in paperback. Um, in that 27-hour audiobook, eight, the first eight hours is spent solely with Bobby and Guard. Mm-hmm. And it's them digging up the digging up the artifact and everything, and they're they're having their like just characterization and everything. It's 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 good character characterization for King. Um, although I will say that Guard, I just I did not like him as a character. Yeah, <laughs> I thought he was just really unlikable, um, which I thought was interesting because I think um, somewhere it may have been in that Rolling Stone interview, uh, King <laughs> King said or someone said that King's I don't know, but. Apparently, like, Guard is basically, like, a king stand-in. <laughs> um, uh, okay. Like, he was writing, like, basically him. Yeah. Um, but 27-hour audiobook, we spend eight hours with Bobby and Guard, and then eight hours in, complete left turn, goes to Haven, introduces us to a town's worth of characters, gives them backstory while also having them react and uh, be affected by what's going on with Bobby and guard. So it's just like we, the story just stops and then we get like the start of a new story in new characters that the characterization, the backstory of these new characters are also competing with them undergoing the effects of what's going on in haven and it's just there it's just too much to hold hold anyone's attention like yeah it just it really bothered me because i was just like i was just like okay well this is this is cool i'm i'm liking these two characters interacting this is really interesting and then suddenly it's like holy crap we've got we've got we've got a town here (laughs) right it's like it boggles my mind why you would think it would be a good idea to to do that and not like establish the town first and right uh, and i mean usually stephen king balances those things pretty well he really I mean, does and it, that's that's a skill we don't mm-hmm. talk about we talk about his characters so much uh, on the podcast yeah and in general and uh, as we should but yeah i think i think balance is another attribute of his that he's mm-hmm he's really skilled at and in world building too world right usually right and so you know um, he'll I, I think to your point you know i think you had to establish your characters but you could could have done that in two mm-hmm. three hours or so and then start you know building your town yeah. or like you said start with the town and right. then you know have have Bobby and Guard go into town and start interacting with these characters, right. so we have some context for it. Exactly, and and you know you 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 introduce new things in the roots of what you've already established, mm. and that doesn't exist in this book. It's, it's absolutely just, it's just a big jump, and yeah. it's that's that's the structure is is just goofy. It's yeah, and, and it's yeah. so off putting, like. And it's not it's not so much like okay they he establishes the town and then goes back to guard and Bobby like guard kind of is the the main character of the story mm-hmm. but in that that vast vast section that introduces Haven and its residents and its characters um, there are major players that are in, that are introduced in those pages and it's just it's so hard for me both times i listened to the audiobook to keep track of who the characters were like what their 
what their part of the story was. Um, like there's a reporter, I think, character who was introduced in like I I have trouble reconciling him with Butch the the deputy um, or police officer. I don't know if he's technically. I don't know. Um, but like we spend so much time with the backstory about the constable, but I'll get to that in spoilers, but like there's, it's, it's a mess. It's just a mess. Yeah, it is. And then after that, when like the book is divided into three books, book one, book two, book three, um, book three, um, this isn't technically a spoiler, but like book three literally begins with us being introduced to another freaking character um, <laughs> who ultimately doesn't really have much impact or anything. But I'm like, I just I, like, I kind of want to throw my hands up and just be like, I, I can't do it. I, I don't know what's like, I can't keep the plot with all of this right? Um, because it's just not engaging. Um, but tiny, you are terrified of aliens. I am. Um, so how did you feel about the use of aliens in this book and non-spoilers still? Um, again, it was a cool premise. Uh, that's, it's something that I hadn't, that hadn't really been done before, at least not that I'm aware of. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I like the idea of, you know, they're kind of like, uh, the alien invasion is sort of like using, they're like a parasite and humans are the mm-hmm. hosts and whatnot. Um, that's kind of cool. They're influencing, uh, the way they influence everyone is, is really interesting. Um, Mm. and the whole technology aspect is cool. I, yeah, I think, I think in the right setting and, and done properly, they're like, there's, there's a cool, there's a cool story Mm. here. And like, I, it's, it'd be engaging and it would be scary and fascinating and compelling. Um, and, and it kind of was in the book. Yeah. Um, not to say not again, not to say that it was just complete shit. Mm. Um, but it was old. It was. It's just nowhere near as good as, good as it could be. Right. Um, all that stuff. And I think. I think it's. I think it's. It is actually kind of kind of scary and terrifying what happens in in the mm-hmm. story. Um, There's one like big set piece, kind of three quarters in, in which we'll talk about in spoilers, of course. But like that moment is a good payoff. But it, I don't think it salvages the story or salvages the book. But mm-hmm. like the payoff of it is like is like really good King writing. Okay. Um, I will say one of the things that uh, kind of adds credence to my disappointment in this book is that I knew going in that it was one of it was at least the first um, kind of purely science fiction book that King wrote, and. I am such a fan of science fiction, just as a as a genre. Um, check out anthology. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like, yeah, I, I'm just a huge fan of science fiction, and just knowing that okay, my favorite author is is had written a science fiction heavy story that is paying very like heavy homage to Invasion of the Body Snatchers, which is just a quintessential story of science fiction which also slight tangent if you want background on my kind of evolution as a as a reader i guess or a fan of science fiction um invasion of the body snatchers was the inspiration for a uh two-part book of goosebumps uh the goosebumps series 2000 run 
where they had Invasion of the Body Squeezers. And that was my first introduction to that type of story. Mm-hmm. Um, and just purely science fiction alien invasion thing. Of course, I mean, that, that story type has been recycled so many times. Like, yeah. The Faculty was like the next one that I watched and enjoyed. Um, and of course, I've watched the original Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Um, but going in, like seeing, seeing Stephen King attempt his his version of that type of story was really compelling to me or like really pulled me toward this book um and just to see him kind of squander it a bit was was a a big letdown um but there were good things about it and we'll talk more in detail and spoilers but i mean I, i like the the start of how it how it affects the townspeople and how it affects bobby and guard there's a really like intense scene where guard is sitting outside of bobby's uh like on bobby's porch and bobby is like behind him and and you get a sense that like oh like there's danger afoot um Mm -hmm. which i'll go into more detail and spoilers um but but it's just it just it's hampered by a, a very clear lack of direction that he had when writing it. And it, it really, really suffers. Um, and by the end, it's, it's a book that both times I listened to it, I was really struggling to hold my attention to it. Me too. Um, yeah. Um, final thing before we go into spoilers and everything, um, <laughs> the most satisfying or the most um kind of mind-blowing thing i guess to me when i first when i first listened to the audiobook first time reading it quote unquote um i didn't know i didn't know that it was about a character stumbling across an object a foreign object in the ground and excavating it in a wooded area and like the whole time i was like is this just a massive coincidence or did like jj abrams and damon lindelof and carlton cuse did they like directly crib the crib that storyline for lost for the hatch storyline <laughs> like i kept the and like it carried me through the those first couple hundred pages like thinking like this is so cool like i'm so blown away that like stephen king influenced lost in such a in that way that i didn't that i wasn't aware of yet did you get lost vibes off of it i didn't know interesting no interesting yeah maybe i should have but yeah. uh well there was a lot to contend with a lot of right uh characters <laughs> like like uh god like guards it felt it felt like he was really working hard to make us not like guard yeah um like his introduction that whole yeah the, the party scene right oh my god it just went on and on it did yeah and like i get it he's passionate about like nuclear energy and and like like the danger of it and stuff mm-hmm. which re-listening to it I, I, in in light of watching chernobyl um i got a little bit more out of that of the intensity i guess mm-hmm. but it's just obnoxious and it's just ugh. it's just it's it was such a such a a slog to get through this book it was um and i think that that introduction and that meltdown that he has is a is is a it, compelling in and of itself because mm-hmm. I feel like it's a pretty accurate depiction of a a collapse or like a like like a um, an alcoholic hitting rock bottom mm-hmm. like that's it's, it's it's great reading for that yeah but I 
it just takes you out of the story. Like, yeah. it's just the context of it is the problem. Absolutely. Um, and also, it would work a lot better if his alcoholism was like more fully developed and explored as a central point of the book because yeah. it's, it's really not it's a plot device right he kind of um, gets over it pretty quickly he, he does yeah. and like there's some things here and there like he uses it to kind of self-medicate a little bit yeah but it's like it's not like this major kind of thing and it's just it it's really just a catalyst for him going back to bobby it, exactly it's a plot device like you said yeah, yeah. and i kind of feel like that's I don't know. It's interesting because it, it was obviously written at a time where he was uh, King was on the cusp of hitting his rock bottom and, and about to get clean. Mm-hmm. But it's just interesting to kind of see that as, um, I don't know, re- maybe maybe it's not fair to say, but maybe it's reflective of his state of mind at the time because like maybe he's aware. He's aware. I don't want to put you know words on his page, but he's aware that he has issues, but he's not aware of like the the need to to complete them or or not complete them but uh be rid of them and and shed himself of them mm-hmm. um and i maybe that's reflective of of how he writes guard but i'm kind of grasping there i don't know yeah i don't know either um before we get into spoilers and stuff cuz i feel like we're dancing around a little bit and i kind of want to get into kind of some of the minutia of the book um how do you feel about the audiobook and Edmund Herman? Ed, uh, hang on, let me look. Up I can't name. remember his name. Yeah, he was the dad in Richie Rich. <laughs> um, sadly, he passed away like a few years ago. He did, yeah. Um, Edward Herman. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, what do you think of Edward Herman's um, performance in the narration on Audible? I think he did a pretty good job. Um, I really liked the way he said "becoming." Um, I feel like he kind of, uh, that concept or that theme throughout the book, uh, was enhanced by his performance, Mm -hmm. uh, at least for me anyways. I think, I think he did a good job and I, I could, uh, incidentally, I kept picturing him as guard. Oh, interesting. Even though I know that like Jimmy Smith's played that role in this series and stuff. Mm -hmm. And so I probably should have been picturing him. Um, but yeah, I kept picturing him and like. I picture him as a slightly older man, mm-hmm. like pushing 50, yeah. and he's not that old in the book. Right. And like Bobby is younger and somewhat attractive, and it's mm-hmm. like, what's she doing with him? And that's another thing. And it's stupid. <laughs> like, well, I don't know why I was thinking that. Well, that's another thing is that they establish, like, King establishes that, um, like, the genesis of their relationship is that I think he was her professor. And she was a student, I think. Okay. And, like, that's not, like, it's just normal. Like, it's just... Yeah. It just feels like a weird power thing, but it's not a power thing in the story. It's just... I don't know. It's it's like hmm. he was... Because I, th- I think, I want to say, and it, listeners, feel free to correct me on this, um, at Tower Junkies Pod on Twitter, but um, I believe the introduction of it is that he's, like, Bobby was his student and, like, his, like because he was a professor and like in her like in his like freshman like english or poetry class or something and then they they like hooked up shortly after that or something it's like Hmm, i missed that (laughs) yeah i i'm maybe i'm maybe i'm putting the freshman thing on there and it's not there but i just remember feeling a little bit skeeved out and not and felt it it felt a little weird that it wasn't addressed um Hmm further 
But I will say Edward Herman's performance, I, I really enjoyed it. Like, it, he has a really great tone um, of voice. And, like, uh, there's something about the way he talks that, like, when he when he says the Tommyknocker man, um, I'm going to try to do an imitation, uh, the Tommyknocker man. Um, <laughs> like, there's, there's a weird, like, I don't know, there's a weird, like, accent or something that he yeah. uses for it. Um, but yeah, and I, this, this is more annoying than anything, but just the, the way that guard, uh, purposely like mispronounces the name of like someone at the party and he's like, Argo Bargle. Like the way that Edward Herman says it is is kind of weirdly pleasant, mm-hmm. but also the overuse of it and the obnoxiousness of it <laughs> is like so off-putting. I'm like, okay, fucking fly through the window, guard, please. <laughs> um, I don't remember if he actually goes through the window. In the, yeah, he goes through the window in the book. I know he does in the miniseries, but... Mm-hmm. But yeah, so, um, okay, we're going to go into spoilers for the Tommyknockers. Um... Yeah, so I'm going to play a piece of music here and then we'll gu- we'll dive into spoilers for the Tommy Knockers. Okay, so spoilers on for the Tommyknockers. Um, okay, so there are some good things that I want to talk about. <laughs> um, two things stand out as, as like, really solid writing from King in this book. One is probably the biggest set piece of the book is, um, for me... And most effective is the shed scene. Do you remember the shed? Yes. Yes. Yeah, and I agree. Yes. Uh, where Guard finds, he finds that kind of the source of the power of the Tommyknockers is kind of being like amplified by uh, the not quite dead um, bodies of some of the townspeople and uh, Bobby's beloved dog, Peter. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I thought that the visual, like the imagery that as written in it is very strong and it's a good payoff for it, but I don't think it saves the book. Um, do you like, how did you feel when you came across that part? Yeah, that part I agree was, was vivid and mm-hmm. uh, like stuck with me. Like just, it disturbed me a lot. Mm-hmm. I was disturbed by it. Um, just because of how much I love dogs and stuff. Yeah. Same. Um, who cares about the people? <laughs> right. <laughs> um, no, but it just, it's, you know, like a perpetual state of torture yeah. that they're in. And that's just horrifying. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that was a really vivid moment. And again, that was, that was good writing and, mm-hmm. and I liked that part as well. That was a good part of the book. Yeah. Um, but agreed. It, it doesn't save it. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, and, and, and again, like the, this is this is a fault on my, on my part, but also kind of the book's part as well. But like I've listened to this audiobook twice fairly recently and I feel kind of shaky on this uh piece of detail. So with that prefaced, um the whole concept of like this crashed alien spaceship that's filled with just dead aliens that they're for lack of a better word, their spirits or their ghosts are what's controlling the town and everything. Um, that at least my read of that, uh, 
I found really interesting and unique. Me too. Um, for this type of story. Um, like that felt like the kind of king spin on a classic science fiction story trope and type. Um, and I was all about that. I was really into that. And it also kind of feels like, again, I don't know if this is an intentional thing, but it reminded me of like, and I don't know if Ridley Scott was influenced by it or not. I doubt it, but like Prometheus, um, kind of like, like store science fiction stories of people like finding alien artifacts and stuff and being, um, kind of massacred by them and stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I really liked that, but I, I want to get back to talking about book three, just real quick. Just, I want to gripe about this. Um, I put timestamps down on this freaking notes. Wow. Um, so book three introduces us to another character, Bobby's sister, because she's coming into Haven and it's just like, it's just like right off the bat. It's like, I have another freaking character. I'm (laughs) 19 hours, 17 minutes into a 27 hour audio book and I have to be introduced to this new character. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, it, it was just so, uh, it was it, like, granted it didn't go, it, it led to an interest a satisfying conclusion. Like she gets killed and everything. And she, I think she ends up in the shed. Um, but it just, I was just so by that point I was like fighting not to check myself out. Yeah. Um, and it really bothered me. Mm-hmm. Um, I had forgotten about her sister. Yeah. Frankly. Yeah. Yep. Cause she, it, and it's not even like it introduces, it's the first like section of the third like book or section of the book overall. And it goes really nowhere. Um, except for her getting killed and everything, but it's just like, she doesn't factor into like the end of the book that I can remember. But also I'll juxtapose that with, going back to the section second section where they introduce Haven, where he introduces Haven. Um, my God, tiny, (laughs) if I could gripe more, um, as we're being introduced to, I'm going to take that again. Um, as we're being introduced to the town of Haven, uh, we are, Oh my, like so much time, is spent with Ruth um, Coswell, I think is her last name. She's the constable of Haven. So this and this is indicative of of an, of a of a signature of Stephen King's writing that I'm I'm not too keen on. But like he will introduce a character, uh, foreshadow their death, and then spend a lot of time with them leading up to the death. Um. And if you remember in the Tommyknockers, Ruth is introduced and then she's killed. And then there is hours of the audiobook that is recounting her last days in Haven leading up to the explosion mm. um, at, I think it was City Hall or something. Yeah. And it's just like, it's like, it is hours of this book. <laughs> and I'm just like, I'm like, every time I'm like, she's, she's dead. She's going to be dead. Like, like this is... My God, it's just, it was such a slog. Um, do you remember that aspect of it? I really don't remember that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I was pretty checked out by that point, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, just go in the goddamn ship already. Jesus. Yeah. And she, like, she, she had like a, uh, she was the one that had the, um, Jesus figurine that was talking to her and leading her to, to, 
do something. I don't know. She also had the the dolls, which I appreciated in the in the miniseries. But like, it's just it's going about her day, her history, the history of the town, and everything. And I'm just like, just get to the point. I've, I'm I'm at this point eight hours to ten hours. <laughs> into the book and i'm just like i want to get to the action i want to get to the actual thing it's such Mm -hmm. a such a stumbling block right um yeah and uh um god i uh so oh okay Uh, yeah so going back and we're all over the place and everything um bobby her like Again, like she was, she was maybe the more interesting character. So of Bobby and Guard, Guard is he's more developed as a character, but he is so unlikable that I just wanted to get back to Bobby. Yeah, me too. Yeah, and then once we get the Haven introduction and everything, Bobby is like MIA throughout the like almost the rest of the book for the most part. Like she mm-hmm. pops up here and there, but it's Guard's story from that point. Yeah, and what I felt really sucked about that was that in in the at the end of the first part um before we get the introduction of haven and stuff there's that really chilling scene where guard is sitting on the porch and he doesn't know that bobby is behind him or like she's in like she's in the living room but she has a shotgun pointed at the back of his head and like i remember like both times i listened to the audiobook i was like that would be so nuts if she just murdered him right there and then the rest of the story is her like fighting back against the aliens or, or like mm. like her inner struggle and everything but we didn't get that so i don't know yeah um yeah so what do you think of the you mentioned the technology and everything i i really liked that aspect of it too did you want to expand on that at all um i don't know if there's much to expand there's on really not but, uh, I, um, I set you up for something that had no <laughs> no content <laughs> i mean it, it was it was just clever the the whole use of like dc electricity and mm-hmm. like it's all battery battery powered and stuff like that um and then the reveal that eventually you know it's the people who have been yeah kidnapped or you know their bodies mm-hmm. are being used to channel the energy yeah um Again, a great concept, and in the right context, I think it could be a pretty memorable mm-hmm. part of a story. But uh, just not, not that. Just it's just not a good book. Yeah, <laughs> and poorly executed. It's, it's a sh- it's a shame that something that interesting is lost on a story like this. Absolutely. Yeah. Um. So toward the end of the book, and we can kind of wind down, I guess, this review, yeah. but. Toward the end of the book, we're introduced to a newspaper man at some point, and yeah. he's kind of investigating the things. Like, there's a whole big to do about the uh, the the infected townspeople of of um, of Haven doing like a projector thing of the of the clock tower, yeah, um, because it's been destroyed and they're they're using their technology to make it look like it's it's real, mm-hmm. um, and like that. I mean, that's fine. That that was an interesting concept, but again, poorly executed. Yeah. But the news, I think it's the newspaper guy. Um, he gets um, he gets murdered by a coke machine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and my God. I forgot about that. I loved it. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know. Like, both. Like, there are two scenes with the with the kind of um, murderous 
coke murderous coke machine it's uh it kills the new i think it kills the newspaper guy and then it attacks two cops and like one of them like bests it or something Mm -hmm. but it's just it's such a it's such um it's such a fun weird tangent for the uh for the story that i was just like i was i'm struggling to i'm struggling to really uh keep keep the plot and keep myself engaged and then suddenly like oh my god there's a coke machine that's killing people (laughs) it does not fit anywhere in the story yeah um but yeah do you remember that like how did you feel about that i i'm sort of have a vague memory of it but not very specific no Mm. um yeah i wish i could remember more about that yeah, that's fair. It's interesting that you latched onto it. Yeah, well, I think I think I was just I was just struggling so hard to to find something to, to yeah, really like about it. Right. Um Yeah, I I will say uh one of our listeners um on Twitter, uh Daedalus's uh apprentice uh at Thomas Lowe 77. Uh hope he doesn't mind me sharing his Twitter handle. <laughs> um we were talking about uh the Tommyknockers on Twitter and he said, "Although it's bad, it's still one of my favorite reads. It's all over the place and all darkness and despair, the shed, uh the dog, uh uh, and this is my favorite part of the tweet. It's cocaine king at his cocainiest. <laughs> and I just, I love that. I just wanted to share that. It's, wow. it's a delight. Um, that's, yeah, that's a good description. Of it, it. It's perfect. It's, it's, it perfectly sums up this book. <laughs> um, yeah. And again, that shed scene is amazing. <laughs> um, yeah. And I really like, and this is where the miniseries kind of squandered it too. Um, but I actually really like the resolution of Garden Bobby, like him killing her mm-hmm. um, as she's forcing him. She's forced him to like swallow amphetamines, I think, or or something. Uh, some uh, I owe the Vicodin, I think. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, I, I thought that, that was really a good kind of way to close that those characters' story, I guess. Right. Um. So yeah, uh, Cocaine King and his cocainiest. Um, <laughs> overall thoughts on the Tommyknockers? Uh, are you ever going to read this book again? I know. I, I can't imagine myself doing it. Uh, it's not in my top 19, obviously. I was just going to ask. <laughs> Definitely not. Yeah. Is, not it, even. is it at the bottom? Do you think... Is this the, is this the worst Stephen King book you've read? I, th- I think so. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm trying to rack my brain and think of something that could be worse, but mm-hmm. I can't think of anything. You know, and uh, I'm going to actually cheat and change my... Because I, I rank all of the ones I read. Um, it's kind of part and parcel with Dreamcatcher for me. Um, mm. I think it may be a little bit worse than Dreamcatcher. Okay. Um, Dreamcatcher I recently listened to and I was just kind of not invested in it. Um, but I will say that I rank, uh, I need to, I need to re I need to reread the eyes of the dragon mm-hmm. because I actually have the Tommy knockers one stop above eyes of the dragon, but my bottom rated r- bottom ranked one is cell. Okay. Um, yeah. which I find interesting because cell much like the Tommy knockers is Stephen King taking a science fiction, fantasy horror concept in using his own unique spin. So mm-hmm. Tommy Knockers is like Invasion of the Body Snatchers and Cell is uh, his 
zombie story, um, love letter to his friend, George Romero. Right. Um, which I love zombie stuff, so I need to re mm-hmm. reread Cell for sure. I thought Cell was okay. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, um, I think I was just not not into it. Um, There's at least a cogent story there. That's that's fair. That is fair. Yeah. Um, I think I just I wanted a I wanted a zombie story. <laughs> yeah. And it's it's more like a Stephen King weird detail kind of thing. It is. Yeah. Um, I will say I I read it on Kindle, but I did not. I haven't listened to the audiobook. Campbell Scott actually reads the audiobook, so oh, I think okay. that might be more engaging to me. Maybe, yeah. Um, who, of course, he reads The Shining. Yes. Um, so, yeah, so that's the Tommyknockers novel. Um, let us know what you thought of it. I know I've been tweeting with several of our listeners about it, and I didn't take those uh, notes and everything, but um, uh, listener Aaron Jones uh, said that he's a little into Tommyknockers and finding it a tough read so far. Um, so yeah. And, uh, so did we, <laughs> yeah. Um, and I'm trying to see if Robert said anything about it. If he didn't, I don't find it. I'm sorry. Uh, fellow podcasters at dark tower radio, uh, said that I've always said Tommyknockers and Dreamcatcher are great companion novels. Uh, to like uh, uh, companion novels to look at as they are they were both written during a dark time in King's life and drugs were heavily in use but under different circumstances. Mm. Um, and let's see, Cocaine King and his cocainiest. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so awesome. Um. Yeah. Oh, um, uh, Jess at Kahuna, who made those uh, wooden pins for the Dark Tower, yeah, uh, said that she had to stop reading the Tommyknockers because of the graphic teeth parts, because the teeth fall out of the townspeople. Yeah. Um, and she says she doesn't think she ever finished it, uh, which is a really big deal for her, because um, she usually, as she puts it, I usually struggle bust to the end. <laughs> uh, let's see. And then Scott Noble said, oh, we were talking about the response to it. Because um, uh, someone said that, uh, said that, said that Tommy Knockers was written in response to, um, uh, or no, 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 to Misery was written in response to Tommy Knockers backlash. Um, hmm. But I think it was, it was part, partly that and partly, People not liking Eyes of the Dragon either. Um, also, friend of the show, Matt, from uh, You're Gonna Love This or Not podcast, said that it's been a long time since I read it. Maybe since I was in high school, I hated it. It was the peak of his, we've got to have the weirdest sex phase. Uh, <laughs> they made a TV movie, right? Uh, I may have to watch it for his podcast. Um and then Chris said, I'm about 75% through the audiobook now, first time, and I'm quite enjoying it. Haven't gotten any full-on tentacle porn yet, though, which... There's there's a little bit of weird sex stuff, but not really that much. Now that mm. I think about it, um, yeah. Uh, let's see. And oh, maybe Robert didn't talk about it. Anyway, um, yeah. Uh, so anyway, uh, yeah. That's some some feedback on that. Um, I'm I really like that we have so much feedback. Um, <laughs> yeah. For this podcast. Uh, listen to obsessive viewer guys. I mean, <laughs> we, we do stuff over there too. <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh man. 
good, good, good stuff. Um, final thing about the novel, though, some King and Dark Tower connections. Um, about two hours into the audiobook, Ka is referenced. It kind of guard like the narration of it is like uh, talking about guards, uh, fate or Ka. Um, mm. And then there's, I found this really interesting. So. In that part that gets so muddled down with uh, Ruth's backstory and everything, like after we know that she dies, um, there's a really quick reference to Under the Dome, oddly enough. She talks, like, she's trying to escape the town or she's trying to leave the town because she's realizing that, like, things aren't as they should be or as they seem. And she's driving and she's, I think, I think at this point she's hesitant to cross the, the, uh, the town line. Mm-hmm. Um, and she says, um, like she, like she says that she's worried that, um, the Tommyknockers have put up a barrier or, uh, she was worried about them putting Haven under a bowl. Huh. Um, which first of all, there's so many, so many people like when under the dome came out, uh, cried foul and thought that he, uh, had ripped off the Simpsons movie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's kind of definitive proof that he had, you know, that idea mulling around his, his head in, uh, right. 86. Um, there's a reference to, to Jack, Nich- Jack Nicholson's performance in The Shining. I think Guard has an axe or something and he's swinging it like Jack Nicholson. Hmm. Uh, Johnny Smith is referenced in passing when we are introduced to the newspaper guy. Um, there's also reference to Pennywise at some point. I didn't put the things, but hmm. they talk about the, uh, uh, they talk about Ludlow and the Micmac Indians, um, and how, uh, it's interesting because it kind of provides some backstory about Pet Cemetery in a sense. They talk about the chief of the Micmac Indians who, as he, I think it was like, as he was dying, he cursed the land, uh, as legend hmm. had it. So, okay. um, yeah. And then also there's references to the shop, which is a reference to Firestarter, which neither of us have read. So, gotcha. Okay, so that's the novel. Um, (laughs) Let us know what you guys thought. TowerJunkiesPod.com. Find our links there and everything. Um, So there was a miniseries. Yes. And usually we have a separate episode to talk about the miniseries and the adaptations. But honestly, there's not enough to talk about it. Yeah, right. Um, So some background on the the miniseries. Um, It aired May 9th and May 10th in 1993. I I, I don't know what network... Um, I would assume ABC because did ABC have it the miniseries? I don't remember. I don't know. I don't know. But anyway, um, uh, the small town of Haven becomes a hotbed of inventions, all run by a strange green power device. Um, written by Lawrence D. Cohen, uh, he wrote the um, adaptation. The he he wrote Brian De Palma's Carrie in 1976. He also worked on the screenplay for the 2013 Carrie remake. Hmm. Um, he wrote part one of the It miniseries in 1990, and he wrote one episode of Nightmares and Dreamscapes that would adapted the short story The End of the Whole Mess. And this miniseries was directed by John Power, which I couldn't find really any interesting tidbits about his credits or anything. Okay. Um, stars Jimmy Smith as guard, Mark Helgenberger as Bobby, uh, John Ashton as Butch, Alice Beasley as Becca Paulson, who was not in the book, but she was, she comes from another short story, like a short story of Kings. I read the trivia, but I don't know the details. Okay. Um, and E.G. Marshall as Ev Hillman, which we did not talk anything about Dave Hillman, like the, 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 um, the kids, the disappearing kid, and everything. Right. Which 
if you know, I know I've, I feel like I've been railroading everything. <laughs> That's all right. Um, I will say another thing that I really liked about the novel that didn't pay off for me was when Dave Hillman, Davey Hillman, I guess, gets disappeared and he's taken to Altair 4, um, which I, I really appreciate it. It's a reference to Forbidden Planet, the classic science fiction uh, film. Um, the description of him in like a vacuum or in like a low atmosphere planet like it was terrifying. Like the yeah. thought of just being tr- instantly transported to a place that where you're suffocating because there's no oxygen is just frightening. And just, I really like that. Totally. So tiny. Um, I don't think we need to divide it non-spoiler and spoiler. So we're going to spoil the mini series of Tommy knockers. If you're this far in the episode, it, it doesn't, you guys know how it ends. So yeah. <laughs> how'd you feel about this mini series? Um, it, it was unfortunately, um, a victim to like nineties campy series, mm-hmm. TV series. Uh, a lot of the Stephen King series kind of fall into that category. Yeah, they do. Uh, this, the stand and the shining, mm-hmm. I think are all kind of victim to that, that phenomenon. I would also say it, it, yes, that's, yeah. that's another one. Yeah. So just, uh, just kind of a bad time for mini series. Um, mm-hmm. Not sure when they started to get better. Maybe when HBO started making them. Yeah, probably. Um, which Stephen King on HBO needs to happen. Oh my god, that'd be so. Good. Well, it's happening with The Outsider next year. Right, finally. Yeah, uh, but yeah, the Netflix is doing a good job too. Mm-hmm. Um, like with Gerald's Game and stuff. Yeah. Oh, I didn't mention uh, in the Tall Grass. Um, mm. In the news, that's fine. Go ahead, sorry. But anyways, um, so yeah, I think I think that's the standout that's what stands out about this series is that it's, it's more campy. It was just a bad time, I think, um, for many series. And I think in the right context, you could have had a better series. Like if it was adapted now, mm-hmm. even with the shitty book or the not good book, yeah. um, I think someone could do some editing and some creative license yeah, and make a pretty, a pretty decent little mini series, two or three mm-hmm. episodes. Um, but this one wasn't that great. Uh, and the acting really wasn't too bad. Like I, I really like Jimmy Smith's. I always have. Right. Um, and I think Marge Helgenberger was fine. Um, a lot of the other people were, were okay. Um, mm-hmm. but I, I feel like it was just any, anything that was cheesy or campy was a result of the style of the times. Like I think Robert Carradine, who's, probably most famous for revenge of the nerds yeah um he's not that great of an actor sure but he i mean he did fine with this it was it was just a just not a great script and just a a cheesy situation and a weird situation and it's hard to it's i think it'd be hard for anybody to find a good performance with that character given all the context and all the variables of you know, 1990s campiness, and I don't know if I'm making sense, but... Um, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, so I feel like he, he kind of fell into that, and uh, Tracy Lords was actually kind of good, I think, as kind of a vixen-type woman. She was. Which is kind of her shtick in general. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, she's she she she's a little type... She's typecast, but, she yeah. man, she hits that out of the park, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, the, the, there were some good things to like about it in that regard, um, and the the collapsing marriage of uh, Joe Paulson and um, Becca Paulson was mm-hmm. sort of interesting to watch, I guess, to an extent. But yeah, uh, and his 
I think I think it was him. I may have him confused with. He's pretty character. over the top. Oh yeah. yeah, it was like kind of like nails on a chalkboard to me. Yeah. Um. So the it seemed like the special effects department went into overdrive with it. Um, went into maximum overdrive <laughs> with um, with the use of the green light, like yeah, and it's so cheesy. It is. It's so it does it does not age well at all. It's cheap. It's like a cheap way to like. It's like oh well, we'll just have this green light everywhere. Yes, and it's it's just the simplest thing. And mm. It's like it's very talking down to your audience kind of thing. At least I think so. It it just had a negative connotation to it. Yeah, it kind of had like a a bare minimum feel to it. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the performances I thought were fine. Yeah. I guess. like you said, Jimmy Smith is kind of the standout. I, I like him. Um, did you say he was the standout? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, he's. I mean, he's good. He gives a a little bit more to guard than what's there. Yeah. Um, like, he was more likable than the guard in the book. Absolutely. Yeah. Like I, I appreciate the miniseries for taking that party scene where he freaks out and everything and playing it up for comedy as kind of a buffoonish kind of thing. Yeah. And condensing it for sure. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Thank God. Yeah. Um, and uh, that was fine. It was a little out of place in the miniseries, but like it, it was better than the alternative. Yeah. Um, another thing that I didn't really understand in the book and didn't really care enough to understand in the miniseries was like in the book, like there's a lot of time in the book where he is working with the, with them. He's fighting off the becoming because he has that metal plate in his head, Mm -hmm. but he's not becoming like the rest of the town, but he's still like working with them. Right. And like it did, like I was like, okay, um, I guess like, I didn't get, like, his motivation for that. Yeah, I think, yeah, so, I'm not sure either. Yeah. Um, How do you feel about the special effects and stuff on the ship and in the shed scene? Uh, the shed scene was relatively effective. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, you know, given the time of the 90s, there wasn't really CGI. Yeah. At least not used on TV very mm-hmm. much. Um, yeah, it, that that was fine. But then, I mean, the ship was on the ship and then like the aliens and stuff was like kind of kind of next level like not even next level like campy rubber suit kind of bullshit and just very simple bare bones um cliched too like the design did nothing for me it just looked like it looked like rejected concept art from alien from the xenomorphs (laughs) like it just looked yeah it did I mean it was worse than like crappy X Files monster of the oh, week yeah. type stuff. It was worse than that. Mm. And it just, yeah, just not 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 very good. Yeah. Um, I don't I don't know. They tried to make the aliens like uber scary with like sharp teeth, and mm-hmm. I was like, okay, that's nice try. Yeah. Um. But it, it was what it was. Yeah. Um. I mean, that's a brief review. I don't know if I have any more to say about it. Yeah, I don't know either. Really. What do you think of the Coke machine? My fa- the standout of all of Stephen King's oeuvre. <laughs> I don't remember it much, really. Okay, yeah. I mean, I just, yeah, it didn't stand out I thought, to me. I thought it was fine. Yeah. Um, have you ever seen Maximum Overdrive? I have, yeah. Okay. Do you remember the Coke machine in that? 
Um, no. It spits. I th- I want to say it spits out uh, cans at like a baseball coach okay. and like hits him in the nuts. <laughs> it's like that movie is a that movie is nuts. Yeah, um, it really is. We'll talk about it next year probably. It's pretty um, fun, but yeah, yeah. Um, I will say that um, back in March of 2018, um, there was an article in Variety. Um, I don't know what the status of it is now. I don't. It's probably in development hell, but. Stephen King's The Tommyknockers in works as movie from James Wan and Roy Lee. Hmm. Um, so the article states, uh, The Tommyknockers is being developed as a movie by producers James Wan and Roy Lee. Uh, well, they will, uh, James Wan will produce uh, through his Atomic Monster Company. Um, Lee, whose credits include It, The Lego Movies, and The Departed, will produce ver- uh, through Vertigo. The duo has teamed up with Larry Sanitsky, who executive produced the 1993, it was ABC, uh, miniseries adaptation. Mm. Um, and he said, uh, San- Sanitsky said, um, quote, it's an allegorical tale of addiction Stephen was struggling with his own at the time. The threat of nuclear power, the danger of mass hysteria, and the absurdity of techni- technical evolution run amok all are as relevant today as the day the novel was written. Uh, it is also a tale about the eternal power of love and the grace of redemption. So hopefully they can mine some good stuff out Just of it. giving it a lot of credit there. He really is. Yeah. Um, Take a lot of creative license and yeah. I'll be curious. Yep. Yeah. I agree. Um, so I think that should do it for this episode. Yeah. Um, coming up on the podcast, I am finally going to do my solo Duma Key review. Okay. Um, that'll probably be in like a week or two. I know that uh, particularly Aaron, one of our newer listeners, Aaron, uh, he, is, he tweeted me about it and I was like, Shit, I need to be held accountable for what I say on here. <laughs> uh, no, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, it might get kind of real, so we'll we'll talk about that, or I'll talk about it to myself. Okay. Um, I might try to re-listen to it at work before. We'll see. I don't know. It's Doom Key's okay. Hmm. Um, so yeah, but soon enough, we're gonna do our Shining retrospective and Doctor Sleep reviews. Also, I think we're gonna squeeze in hopefully. In the Tall Grass and its adaptation when okay. it hits Netflix. Yep. Also, fuck it. Chapter one commentary. Right. It chapter two, and then I am so scared that I'm going to load up Facebook or something, and Hulu is going to be like, "Oh, hey, Castle Rock season two is like today." <laughs> like I am, I am like sweating bullets over that. Really? <laughs> yeah. So we. We okay. This is. I'll leave. I'll, we'll leave the podcast on this. Um, I'm. I love doing this, and this is this is some of the most fun podcasting that we do, in my opinion. Word. Um, and I'm really hoping that we can be more consistent, starting next year. Yeah. Um, we have plans. Hopefully, we stick to them. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll see. But yeah. But we do have stuff in the pipeline uh, for you guys to enjoy. And yeah. Of course, we definitely thank you guys for listening and for all the support that you show us. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Again, if you want to check out our other shows, we have Obsessive Viewer over at ObsessiveViewer.com and my solo show, Anthology, at AnthologyPod.com, where I'm reviewing The Twilight Zone as a first-time viewer. And uh, also check us out on Patreon if you want exclusive content recorded specifically for Patreon. Uh, there's tons of content there now. Just make a minimum pledge of $1 per month. You get access to a uh, RSS feed that is exclusive to you and just exclusively has exclusive recording exclusives. Um, <laughs> Uh, and again, that's minimum $1 per month. I mean, if you want to like loosen the purse strings, please do. Go nuts. Uh, it gives us money. Yep. Um, yeah. So any parting thoughts, Tiny? Uh, no. All right. Cool. Well, uh, long days and pleasant nights. And may you have twice the number. And now here's a short clip from our Patreon exclusive RSS feed. To hear the full clip and more exclusive Patreon content, go to patreon.com slash obsessive viewer and become a patron at the minimum rate of $1 per month. Thank you and enjoy. You, okay. So I had this, I had this weird fantasy, um, about Stephen King. Um, <laughs> that, by the way, man, I, damn it. I forgot I was going to do this whole thing. I, I meant to tell you that I, uh, when you sent me a message saying that you need to jump in the shower and then you'd be over, I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm going to go ahead and do that myself. So I jumped in the shower. So I was going to do a whole bit where I was going to be like, well, me and Tiny were planning on recording earlier, but we, we took a shower. <laughs> um, so anyway, but anyway, back to my fantasies about Stephen King. <laughs> Tower Junkies is edited and produced by Matt Hurt and presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. For a full archive of our episodes, go to towerjunkiespod.com slash archive. You can also like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash towerjunkiespod and follow us on Twitter at towerjunkiespod. If you enjoy the show, please take a couple minutes to leave us a rating and a quick review on Apple Podcasts. This is the easiest way to support what we do, and all it costs is just a little bit of your time. If you'd like to donate to the podcast... You can make a PayPal donation at towerjunkiespod.com slash donate or support us on Patreon for recurring donations and access to commentary tracks and B-roll audio recorded exclusively for patrons at patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. Every donation goes toward paying the fees to keep the podcast running and is greatly appreciated. For official Obsessive Viewer merch, including shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more, visit our Public store. You can find a link to the store in the show notes of this episode and at obsessiveviewer.com slash donate. Or you can simply search for obsessiveviewer at tpublic.com. For information about our annual live event showcasing short horror films from local filmmakers, check out shocktoberinirvington.com. And for an archive of all our events, as well as news about potential future events, head over to obsessiveviewer.com slash live. For more podcast content, you can find our flagship movie and TV review and discussion show, The Obsessive Viewer Podcast, at ObsessiveViewer.com, and on Twitter, at ObsessiveViewer. You can also find Anthology, Matt's solo podcast covering The Twilight Zone, and other classic and contemporary science fiction anthology TV shows at AnthologyPod.com and OVAnthologyPod on Twitter. And finally, check out The Secular Perspective. Tiny Side Project podcast, which tackles current events and life's big questions from the perspective of secular hosts Chad and Amanda at thesecularperspective.com. Music for the podcast is provided with permission from Fingers T on YouTube. Additional bumper music is provided courtesy of As Good As It Gets, which can be found at facebook.com slash as good as it gets band. 
Thank you so much for listening. Long days and pleasant nights. Kitty!